Uh, good morning, church. Today's scripture good morning, <laughs> is found in Mark 9, verses 2 through 13. Please stand for the reading of the word. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, hey, guys. Good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Stephen Kopnerath. So good to have you all here with us this morning. And uh, just actually curious by show of hands, how many of you guys have kind of been walking through the Gospel of Mark with us since the beginning uh, in last, last fall? Great, awesome. Hey, we're we are about we're over halfway done now, which is uh, awesome. There are 16 chapters in Mark, and so uh, we just finished up chapter eight, and looking forward to just finishing this out. This this last half will go much quicker uh, in many ways, and so looking forward to seeing as as the Lord starts moving us towards Jerusalem and the cross and the empty grave, uh, what the Gospel of Mark has for us. Um, in 2011, uh, there's a study by Arthur Berger and. Um, he's not a, a, a restauranteur or a, a cook or anything. His last name is Burger. Uh, but uh, this study by, by him said that Americans were exposed to somewhere between 5,000 and 15,000 advertisements per day. Just think about that for a second. You know, depending on, I guess, your social media feed or your television, how much you watch, or uh, just think about all the kind of subliminal messages that we take in every single day, all the things that we hear and see we're not even aware that we're taking it in at that time. And uh, my guess is through those 5,000 to 15,000 advertisements, we've heard some jingles in our time, right? Like there's probably some things that you've heard and you probably even have kept on uh, in your own mind. So uh, let me do some quick, just kind of finish the lyric, all right? So shout it out with me if you guys can. Uh, let's see if you guys know some of these. Um, five, five dollar, five dollar. All right, got it. All right, Subway. So we're all on that. Um, right on. Um, how about this one? Oh, oh, oh. Pretty good. Right on. All right. How about nationwide is? On your side. Good. Last one here. Okay. Like a good neighbor. Those insurance companies really have kind of a market on these jingles, it seems like. They like really probably pay top dollar for them. Um, but just think about that for a second. 5,000 to 15,000 ads per day. And that was in 2011. Right? So, you know, we all know what happened in the last 10 years. The more uh, desensitized we get to marketing, the louder it has to be. And so the world is practically shouting at us. Right? I mean, every day, listen, look over here, getting our attention in all kinds of ways. 
In fact, over-advertising has actually had a uh, kind of a negative effect on many brands, and it's easy to see why, because we all feel bombarded by, by information every day, constantly being recruited to someone else's agenda. And someone is trying to sign us up for something, and you pair that with our quality of sleep, right, with our busy calendars, and no surprise, we feel stretched. And so our attention uh, is in constant demand, and we have a very limited supply of that. So that means that in our time and age, in our world, a phrase like, listen to him, is a radical command. Think about that for a minute. That phrase, listen to him, is a radical command. And this is actually what we see in this passage this morning in the Transfiguration. And I want to suggest to you that this morning the Christian life is one of radical listening. One of radical listening, yearning for the, God, for the words of God, ought to be the posture of every believer. And so does this describe you this morning? Are you dependent on God's word? Uh, the way that we're dependent on, on food for energy, right? Like, or, or sleep for nourishment and recovery. Last weekend, we studied Peter's profound realization that Christ is the Messiah, and Jesus then taught them and, and taught us as well what it really means to follow him. And so uh, we, we talked about that really famous passage about discipleship and what it means to, to live like one who follows Christ, what the demands of discipleship. And then he told us that some of them will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And so it's this dramatic display of power that we get to this morning um, in Mark chapter 9. And it's a transfiguration. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the climax of this passage is actually not what you think it might be. Because as we, uh, I, when I was a kid, I was in Sunday school, maybe you were too, or maybe you've heard sermons about the transfiguration before, and it's all about Jesus. And we sang it before, Christ be magnified, him, him lifted up and, and seen for everybody to, uh, no one could, could uh, deny who he was at that moment. And I think that's certainly a point of this passage. Jesus on top of the mountain, and then someone actually comes on top of the mountain, and I believe that's the climax, and we'll get to that in a minute, but let's start with Jesus, and let's start with verse 2 as we jump in to this passage, and behold the glory of Christ. So Mark 9, 2 through 4, says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. By the way, let me just kind of point out here, these three guys have kind of a special relationship with Jesus. They are kind of his inner circle. They're his best friends of the disciples. And so you recall there's 12 disciples, and then there's actually a crowd of people who are also followers of Christ, who have a relationship with him, who know him, who've been following him around as he has taught and done miracles. And then there's kind of the crowd at large. But as you kind of dig into the center, these three guys, Peter, James, and John, um, have been with Jesus since the start. They are close friends. They, they really are like brothers to him. And so he brings them along to these experiences like this. Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, a couple of things to help us frame this from the top. Remember, first off, that while this is called the Gospel of Mark, most scholars believe this is actually Peter's telling of the story to a guy named Mark who wrote this down, okay? So this, this whole Gospel is written through Peter's eyes. 
It's important for us to remember that and Mark's pen. So you've been, if you've been with us through the beginning of the study, uh, you've got to automatically recognize that, that the date uh, stamp, this time stamp, six days is also unique. Uh, more than often, Mark is saying stuff like immediately and in those days, and very rarely does he give us kind of this type of specific time uh, bracketing. He does in this case because for Peter, this was one of those momentous occasions he's not going to forget. And he's like, man, was, it was like last week where I confessed Jesus as Lord. And then just one week later, we get to this special moment where the inner circle is up on the mountain. They get invited, and they can't even imagine what they're going to see. Now, we can't see, say with what degree of accuracy what mountain this is, but Peter records in great detail what he saw. And it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. You know, as you know, we might think of the word metamorphosis. This is like an abrupt and sudden change to Christ's uh, appearance, to maybe his, the radiance around him. It says that his clothes were, were uh, bleached white. Peter had a loss of words to describe what was happening here. And he starts to kind of ramble a little bit, right? Like, like his clothes are kind of like intensely white, right? Like no one else could bleach them. It doesn't matter how many times, right? So the, this is Peter's attempt to give us words to what he sees. And we oftentimes will describe color by comparison, right? So we'll say, hey, uh, the sunset was like fiery red, right? Like, or the, the sky was like smurf blue. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but I, I, I think that way. And what he's trying to say is like, this was like white. It was really, really white, right? Like a white that you've never seen before. And I'm pretty sure that they're not wearing name tags, but Peter recognizes that this guy over here is also Elijah. And this fellow over here standing next to him is, is Moses. And what's interesting to note is that Elijah, nor Moses, is as radiant and white as Jesus. Why? Because Jesus alone is the radiant one. He is the one that all the glory and honor is bestowed upon him. Jesus is God. He's self-sufficient in every way. And while Elijah and Moses appear, it's not because Jesus needs some consulting help or he needs some encouragement. It's because we need to see that from the entire Bible, from cover to cover, that all of human history is pointing to one person, and it's Jesus, God's beloved son. You know, the apostle Paul would later uh, write about Jesus in Philippians 2, 6-7, on the screen behind me. He says this, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself out by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I, I think some of us would probably do well to recalibrate our view of who Jesus is, uh, especially kind of at this point in the gospel of Mark. He's not simply this rabbi teaching all of Israel teaching people, healing people, you know, fishing with the boys. All those things are true. He did them. But he's much more. And, and this kind of first eight or so chapters, it's a deliberate and intentional cover to conceal for a time who he is and why he came. Because we see in this moment that he is in his very nature God. It's very clear. And these three men get a glimpse of him in all his glory. They got to behold with their eyes uh, what we will all one day see with our own eyes, the triumphant, glorified Christ. Paul will later say in verse 8, 
in Philippians 2, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This truth is just unbelievable, that Jesus, God in the flesh, would humble himself to the point of death. And it's not for his own benefit, it's for us. It's for our, our, our need, our need to, uh, for our sin to be reconciled. That's amazing. You know, we often so often uh, in a culture equate prominence with a lack of having to do things, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, we've really made it, right? The band has really made it big if, because uh, at the beginning, they had to drive themselves around and set up their own equipment and put up their own instruments and then play, right? But you know a band has made it big when someone else drives them around, and you have roadies that set up their equipment and then uh, put it all away afterwards, right? But not so with Christ. Uh, prominence and stature and honor doesn't work in the same way as it does in our world. He is in very nature God, but in that nature he stepped down, he put on flesh, and he was obedient to the point of death. And his death was the one that you and I deserved but here is the gospel good news, that by confessing Jesus as Lord, we can be reconciled to God. We can turn from our sins and receive forgiveness. But let's be honest. To be face-to-face with this type of glory, this type of company, it can be overwhelming. And you see from this uh, kind of perspective, this narrative, we can act pretty foolish sometimes. And on the top of the mountaintop, we see uh, very, very much that. Number two, the foolishness of men. Chapter 9, verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Wait a minute. Does your Bible say what my Bible says? You've got a screen with me. I think it's up here. Uh, and, and Peter said to Jesus, for he did not know what to say. Isn't that funny? Like, isn't that just describe you and I sometimes? Like, we don't know what to say, but we're going to say it anyway, right? And Peter kind of has this moment where he's so overwhelmed and so, like, just taken aback by what's going on. He's like, uh, I'm, so, I'm glad you guys are here because I'm going to make you guys some tents. And it's like, that's weird. <laughs> like, why would he say that? And Peter, as often as the case, he's the first one to speak up. And he's kind of like the, the kid who gets invited to the cool table, right, at school. And he's like, hey, this is awesome, right? Like, I was, I was hoping we'd all be, be able to be together here and I got some ideas I want to run by you guys. And, and, and in some ways, we can appreciate Peter's remarks. Maybe you've been in, in a, a situation where you are around somebody who you hold in high esteem, and you just kind of can't get the words out, right? Um, I, I've had some experiences like that where, obviously, you know, uh, pastors aren't celebrities, but they kind of are. And so sometimes you meet a pastor of a, a large church or a church that uh, a pastor who you respect a whole bunch, and Sometimes I get tongue-tied, right? Like I meet a guy like John Piper, and I'm like, oh, hey, and I, I don't say the right things, or I introduce myself the wrong way. And um, I, I've been in moments like that before. And so Peter is completely overwhelmed because he is face-to-face with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And so his contribution is, uh, hey, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, here's, let's, let's put some tents for you guys, right? And, and, and I just want to say, I think sometimes this... There's some application here for us, because I think we're not good at letting God be God sometimes. Like, sometimes we get face-to-face with these moments where God is about to teach us something, God is about to show us his glory in a unique and new way, and, and we want to step in and do our own thing. 
and not allow God to be God. We're not good at listening to his voice. We would much rather speak. We'd much rather, like Peter, in last week's passage, if you recall, lead Jesus than follow Jesus. Remember last week how Jesus talks about all the things he has to do. He has to be killed, and he'll rise again in three days. And, and Peter's like, no, no, that's not happening. Like, and he rebukes Jesus. And, and oftentimes, like Peter, we do the same thing. This is Peter's fault because he still hasn't learned what it means to submit to the Lord fully. He's still so concerned about working to cover his own bill, working for his keep. What can I do to show you that I belong here spiritually? How can I make myself useful to Jesus? I know I'll build a tent. And I, I want you to see, though, that un, unknowingly, Peter is actually modeling a perspective that really is anti-gospel. Because as Christians, we ascribe to this, this reality that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And maybe you even write that down for a minute. If you haven't heard that before, in, in a small way, this is what Peter is, is speaking against, that I have to add something in order for this situation to be made right. And he's just trying to add a little bit of help where it's not needed. And yet in the same way, you and I, over and over again, we will offer up our shoddy work to Christ as if he needed our help at all. We'll say stuff like, look, God, at my, at my moral life. Look at my good deeds. Look at what I did this week for my neighbors or my friends. Look at my big words and my prayers. And God will say gently to us, no thanks. I've already done all the work on your behalf. Does this describe you and I, church? Have you experienced Christ in all his glory only to get in the way of the work because you're worried about how you look in his eyes? And so don't be foolish. Instead, allow God to be God and, and simply just listen. The next uh, section, we see a message from God. Chapter 9, verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. If you're familiar with the narrative of scripture, you know that oftentimes God comes in the presence of a cloud. This is something that we see in the Old Testament as well. The cloud descended on Mount Sinai where God spoke to Moses. This is a pretty standard image in scripture. And I find it interesting, though, that with such a profound vision before them, Jesus dazzling white, Moses, Elijah, God in the cloud, that God doesn't say, boys, check this out, the situation, or boys, look up here at, at me. But rather, God comes up and he points down to his son and he brings all the attention to his son. He says, listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And here we are, I believe, the focal point of this whole passage. The point of this scripture is the Father's message in verse 7. And in a way, God preaches his own sermon here. And it has two points. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the first part of that message is based on the identity of, of Jesus. God the Father has only one natural son, and he loves him with all his heart, and knowing this is foundational to knowing God. If you want to know God, you have to look at his son first. And here's what I mean. God did not look at our world, notice our biology, and think to himself, oh, this is interesting. 
you know what I can really do to relate to these people? They have this unique parent-child relationship. And that's a pretty good analogy. It's not perfect, but that'll work. And, and so, uh, no, that's, it's exactly the opposite way around. God has built into the very fabric of life as we know it. Uh, a knowledge to understand him. We all have that parent-child relationship. We are all children to a parent. And if you're here this morning, uh, you understand that there's this special relationship between us and our, our dads, us and our, our mothers. And if you, are, if you are a woman this morning, by the way, and you're concerned about where this is going, we aren't saying that women have to take an extra step to understand God, by the way, because he's father, son, and Holy Spirit. No, in fact, if you read your Bibles, you'll see that all scripture, God compares himself to scripture in, in a number of ways. He says that he's a tender mother. He says that he's a nursing mother, a, a birthing mother, a mother eagle, even a mother bear. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often must I gather you together as a mo mother hen gathers her chicks? So just like fatherhood, motherhood is at the, the heart of God as well. Fatherhood is at the heart of God. This is showing us how God has built into the fabric of reality a way for us to know him. Creation is Christ-shaped. It's tipped to the knowledge of God. And so that God would say that this is my beloved son so that we would know the answer to the question, what is God like? He's like a loving dad. That's who he is to us. And in saying that this is my son, God lays claim to Christ and conforms his divinity as the son of God. In the second part of this message is this imperative that we've mentioned throughout the whole message. Listen to Jesus. In fact, the Christian life is one of radical listening. And I want you to notice that this text does not say, this is my beloved son, listen to your heart, right? Or like, like kind of listen to some of what he has to say. No, he says, listen to him completely. And friends, here's why this is good news. I often don't feel like listening. That's not my normal posture, right? That's something in my heart that is opposed to listening. Now, let me remind you just one week ago, for us and for his disciples, Jesus has just given his most difficult teaching to date, right? His most challenging uh, definitions of what discipleship is, that you need to deny yourself, you need to take up your cross, and you need to follow me. And on our own, we hear that, and we can understandably be reluctant to accept that teaching. No, thank you to which God inserts himself just a few verses later, Mark 9, 7, and says, hey, by the way, this is my son. Listen to him. Follow him. Do whatever he says to do. Listening, church, is the way forward. It's the way that everyday, ordinary people like us tap into never-ending life. Uh, this giving spring that God offers to believers who bend their ears to him. If you are someone who listens to the Lord, and we're not talking, by the way, about advanced Christianity here. We're talking about something so basic that God calls it listening. Uh, show of hands. How many of you here taught yourselves to listen? None of us did. No. Maybe, maybe to, to hear or understand, but not to listen. It's even more basic than, 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 uh, speaking, uh, than speaking, right? You were made for this. You, 
you may be facing something right now, right? A new awkward season of life where you don't know what you're going through and the voice in your head is freaking you out. And so listen to him. Listen to him who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or perhaps there is a voice of condemnation in your head and a heart that says you are the exception to the grace of God. You're not going to make it. Don't listen to that. Listen to him who says to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. Listen to him. Or maybe you've heard that voice inside that says, you're ugly, you have no value. Don't listen to that. Listen to him who says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen to him means that Jesus, that God gets the final word on you. And so the Christian life is one of radical listening. The truth is, radical listening oftentimes happens on the mountaintop. And uh, this is the experience where Peter, James, and John, they get this front row seat to the transfiguration. They see Jesus in all his glory, all his might, all his power, and they actually hear God's voice from a cloud. And if that's not a mountaintop experience, I'm not sure what, what is. And uh, you know, many of you, hopefully, maybe you've had an experience like that before where you've heard from God clearly. Maybe it was in your youth. Maybe it was in a season of life where you just were walking closely with the Lord, where you know, our faith just feels so real, things are going so well, and only to have that experience leave, and then a journey into the valley begins. But let's look back at our Bibles here. What does it say at the end of verse 8? This is sweet news for us. As we come down from the mountaintop, that when the glory drops out in verse 8, they're simply left with Jesus. In other words, Jesus is still present. Moses checked out. Elijah's gone. The glory seems to dissipate. The, the cloud ascended, but Christ remains. And Jesus continues faithfully with them. And it may not look as glamorous as it once did, but his presence is still with us. And this is the great news for us, Christian. If you are weary this morning, if you feel like it's been a long time since you've had kind of an encounter with Christ, like if, you, if we just sing those songs, you're like, that really didn't do anything for me at all. Uh, man, there's good news for you because Christ is still here. He is still faithfully walking beside you. Because we aren't promised, by the way, that things won't get any easier. In fact, it's a tough road ahead. That's our last point this morning as we wrap this up. A difficult road ahead. Let's read verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising for the dead might mean. And then they asked him, why did the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be tra treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. In typical uh, fashion for Mark, he doesn't give us a ton of detail here, but he briefly records this conversation on the way down from the mountain. And Jesus instructs the disciples to keep this vision that they saw on the top to themselves until he's risen again. But finally, Jesus actually puts a little end date on his telling people to be quiet all the time. He says, one day when I've risen, it's, it's time to go public with this information. I want you to tell people. But, but what about Elijah? 
Elijah is supposed to come before the Messiah. And so using the only filter that his disciples have, they question this timeline that Jesus puts in place. And Jesus' response is, in time, you'll fully understand what we're talking about. Uh, Elijah actually did come first. And, and scholars believe that what Jesus is talking about here is John the Baptist. My cousin John came in the spirit of Elijah, and they treated John the way that they wanted to. If you want a reminder about what happened to John, you can look back at, uh, at Herod and Mark 6. And, and Jesus says, look, we have a, a difficult but necessary road ahead of us. They're going to do the same thing to me. And you see the disciples, like, like you and I, are prone to fall victim to this incorrect assumption that only bad things happen to bad people. And, and that's just not true of Christ. The perspective from Scripture is that suffering uh, is, is not compatible with the glory of Christ, when in fact suffering is actually part of it. And this is what we're going to see uh, quite a bit in these next few chapters, that there's this contrast of the glory of Christ on the mountaintop. He was and is the Son of God, and yet he also suffered on our behalf so we can be reconciled with him. And he does, church, in fact, ask us to suffer at times with him. So as we close this morning, let me remind you what I believe is the main point of this passage. I would exhort you, church, to listen to God's voice. Listen to God's voice in a new and fresh way this week. Whatever you need to do to hear clearly, to listen in a radical way, we must do just that. And, and so maybe practically that means for you, as you think about this week, think about work, and maybe as you wake up, it's adjusting what time you get up to listen to his voice. It's making a, a practical decision to turn something else on in the car on the way to work as opposed to just allowing what you always listen to just to be on. We have to make a choice to listen radically, to hear his will, to hear his encouragement, to hear his kind words, because they are available to you today. Some of you are, are, are really discouraged, and, and God would love to speak kindness into your life and encourage you and to lift you up, and, and you have things in your life going on that's too loud for you to hear. And it requires this radical submission to listen to Jesus and his word. I know for me in my life, there are just times when things get in the way. When my schedule or my willingness to, to bend my ear to the Lord, uh, I want to also suggest maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe you have unconfessed sin before the Lord. And, and listen to what the scripture says about our sin in 2 Timothy 2. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Listen, if you want to be used by the Lord, if you want to hear from God clearly, hear his will for your life, maybe there's sin that has to be confessed and, and walked away from in order for that to happen. Or perhaps that the worshiper in Matthew 5.23 who remembers that his neighbor has a grudge against him and God is calling you to resolve conflict with someone in your life and in doing so, Kind of have that, that hearing channel be, able, be open just a little bit more. The good news of Jesus goes forward the same way it always has, through foolish people like Peter, who wants to make Jesus a tent, through foolish people like us, ordinary people like you and I. And so I, I pray for, for you and for me, 
for the glory of Christ, that the message of the gospel would fall on open ears, willing to listen today. And so as we leave this place, we would hear God's voice like we've never heard before, God's clear voice pointing us to his son, pointing us to follow him no matter the cost. And so let's pray that God would help us do that this week. Let's bow our heads and pray for that. God, would you, would you continue to intercede, Lord, on our behalf? Lord, we are, we are foolish. We mess things up. We are imperfect. And yet, God, you call us to be a part of what you're doing in this area, Lord, for your mission, for ministry. God, I, I pray that this would be the realization of everyone in this room, that they don't have to have their stuff together in order to have the gospel apply to them. In fact, the gospel is, is for exactly that person that you've worked on our behalf. And so, Lord, would you help us to set down our, our tools and our busyness and our, our work, Lord? And would we open our hands and accept your grace instead? Would we listen to your voice this week? Would we hear you clearly because you have good things to say to us? God, would you humble our hearts and help us to realize... Lord, that we don't have the answers, and, and we serve a God who does. And so, Lord, would you, uh, would you give us capacity and realization to, to step into your will and to hear your voice clearly? God, help us with this. This is something that can't be accomplished on our own, and so we invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us, that we be a church of, of hearers listening to your voice. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.